another fun or horrific, depending on how you see it, uh, episode <laughs> of So Then What Happened. <laughs> I have such a fun guest. I mean, seriously. So I met this guy at a writer, actors kind of group thing, uh, Tuesdays at nine. And he's just so darn freaking funny. He writes like some really good, funny stuff. I've had the honor of reading for his uh, podcast. We're going to talk about it all. But right now, I'd like you to get up for Mr. Daniel Will Harris. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Daniel, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, <laughs> I just said. Oh, hi, Daniel. And welcome. <laughs> yes, I actually, I have an invisible voice. That's one of my talents. So good. He's so good. People can throw their voices, you know, they can imitate people, but he can actually throw his voice. I haven't even seen that on anyone's resume. That's amazing. It is amazing. Yes. So if there's a large gap, <laughs> so it's I really me speaking invisibly. And then the great part ah, of that is then our listening audience can just put in whatever words they want in there. It's very flexible. Oh my, it's magic. Oh my, look at that. That's actually magical. I feel like I should go to Disney. That's how magical that felt just now. That's, <laughs> that's great. That's great. <laughs> so as a writer and teacher, I can imagine you've had some, some fun interesting uh stories and such um and i think you're going to share two with us today so that should be good um so well, <laughs> whichever when, one you'd like to start with first well i'll start out with the less traumatic one because you don't want to start with a showstopper right so this is true the less traumatic one was was a long long time ago like 20 years ago and i actually have to look on mdb to see i'm not going to say the name of this stuff <laughs> I don't know who's still alive. I do know who's still very vindictive, and I want to. I want to. Oh. But so there was this show on, and it was it was actually a pretty bad show, and it was on for like a whole season. And, and, but the person who was starring in it had been in a big show that ran for like eleven years, and I don't know why I chose okay. that show to write a spec script for, except I thought, oh. It's a bad show. There will be a lot of people writing spec scripts for it. I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. It's a shoe-in. Yeah. And wait, let, let's just clarify. When you say bad show, you don't mean like, you know, slang, you know, jargon, like, no, no, oh, that's bad. Like, you mean this was actually terrible. I mean, this is awful. <laughs> I mean, basically unwatchable. You know, it's, it's yet another one of those things gotcha. where, where someone's a divorcee and they're raising their kids and they're... You know, it's one of those. So, gotcha. Okay, because he's he's got it. He does have a call-in radio show, and no, it's not Frasier, which was one of the great shows of all time. But you know, uh -huh. because he is a radio doctor, I thought of a really absurd story where where he gets involved with a um, with a witch doctor. You know, he's a radio doctor, and there's a witch doctor, and it was really a crazy. It was a crazy <laughs> right. So I wrote the thing and, and I got it submitted to them and I got a reply back saying, this is so off the base. This isn't like what anything we would ever do. No, this is just wrong. Okay. So I thought, well, it was, it was a crazy idea. So, okay. You know, not surprised and probably too sophisticated and funny for the show. As I like to tell myself. Gotcha. Anyway. <laughs> whatever helps you sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> and, 
they only had they only had one season. I'm trying to. Oh no, they had two seasons, but they only had I don't know how many episodes. Anyway, I I back then there was a thing called the TV Guide. Now people may not know what that is, but before the internet, there was. The oh my gosh, we're <laughs> we're actually at a time where people don't know like that was a thing. thing. Wow, you got it every week, and it was the best-selling magazine in the United States because you needed to know what was on television, right? Right, right. So so I see this blurb in the TV guide for the show about a witch doctor. And I'm thinking, well, isn't that interesting after they said that was not their thing at all? And then I watched the episode. Right. And it was basically the same story with some of the same beats and everything like that. And what... You know, wow. there's nothing you could do about it. And actually, by the time I thought, well, I should go back to them and say, well, you did end up liking it. You know, you can just hire me to write another one. And by that time, the show was off the air. So it didn't matter. Oh. <laughs> but I just That happened very quickly. But wait a minute. How does, how does that work? Because I feel like even uh, as where I started in stand-up comedy, I mean, there's always like people stealing your jokes. That happened to me early on. And I granted, like, I'm funny, but I never thought I was like that funny that people are stealing the stuff literally like right after I said it. But how does that work in the writing world? I mean, like, is there protection? I mean, maybe things have changed. Obviously, I was talking about poor man's copyright last episode with Phil. Um, so how, what happens? Like, so, so then what happened, basically, other than like, did you just eat the bullet and said, oh, well? Yeah, because really what there's not much you can do, you know, other than shame them and try to get them to hire you. And it's always already done. If you hire a lawyer, I mean, that costs a fortune. And then there's something called simultaneous ideation which is that two people can have the same mm. idea at the same time in different places. And the reason I know that's true, although I don't think it was true in this case, was because mm -hmm. I wrote a song and then I worked with a guy in New York who was a songwriter and it had the exact same melody note for note. Now, he could wow. never have heard my song. I could never have heard his song. So... You know, so I know it happens. But, you know, after I, I was just like, why would they not just buy the idea and then write it themselves? So I never, never did understand that one. But that was that was one that yeah. came to mind. And then then my acting horror story is not so much horror as it is kind of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a mix of both, is it not? Like you're, you're horrified, you're 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 sad. It's like, what? How did this happen? Maybe, maybe. So I finally, I finally get an acting agent. I hadn't had one for years, and I'd gotten, I'd gotten a lot of work without an agent, but I finally got an agent. So then, now mm -hmm. you have to picture me. I do have a white beard, and I do look kind of like Santa Claus. But as I say, I look like Santa Claus's younger thinner nephew so but it, but okay. it didn't matter because if there was a breakdown and it said white beard i was sent out on those which means i was basically only sent out for santa claus jobs so the first santa claus wow i go out to i get there i'm just wearing i am wearing like a red turtleneck because i want to look like christmasy right i think i'll just dress the part of the of course i get there there are 12 mm -hmm. guys in the waiting room they're like six six they weigh about 330 pounds they have heads the size of lions with massive 
white beards. They're wearing red velvet suit with real fur trim. And, and even as an adult, I go into the room and it's like, oh, it's Santa. They're all real Santas. This is their job. 12 months of a year. Their business cards look like driver's licenses that say Santa Claus on them. This mm. is their job. Stop it. No, it's true. <laughs> and they have they have their own groups online and they share tips on where to get outfits and what's the best dry cleaner for your Oh Santa my God. No, it's a whole business. So I get there and I think can, wait, can I mean can I be Mrs. Santa? I know I'm, I'm not not exactly the right role, but like I feel like I want to be part of this world. I don't even like Christmas, but just oh. <laughs> I feel like the fact that there's all of this, there's groups and there's just so much passion behind it. I kind of want to join oh. in. Is that what well? You're oh, some of them, some of them came with their own Mrs. Santas, and they were dressed up with the little glasses oh my and the bonnets and everything. So, so I walk into this room, and first of all, I just like instantly become a kid again, like. Santa, you're here. And then, <laughs> then the next thought is, even I would not cast myself as Santa Claus. Why? Why would you do that mm. when you have these perfect guys in their perfect outfits and their perfect ho-ho-hos? So I, I called them wow. back, you know, because they always, how did it go? I said, well, I think it went fine, but there's no way that I'll get this part because there are real Santa Clauses in Los Angeles there are at least 12 of them. And why would they not cast them? Well, you always have a chance. No, of course, you don't have a chance. So then this keeps happening. Mm -hmm. They keep the, the only thing, they don't oh. send me out. I could be a professor. I could be a senator. I could be a judge. I could be a lawyer. I could be a doctor. I could be all these things that people with white beards are able to be in real life. But no, only. Right. <laughs> they're like no you don't we don't need it no <laughs> and, and i keep i keep seeing the same same guys over and over again and they look at me like what are you doing here why are you bothering and i'm like i don't know i really don't know it's just it's the only audition i get and i feel compelled to go and and of course the agent is saying <laughs> well but you get to know the casting person it's like but this, uh, nah, nah. so fine <laughs> I don't really want to know the casting person. Like, if it's, you don't want to be in a in a. It's not even. I can't even call that like a uh, uh, a niche. Like that is so. That's so tiny. I feel like it's smaller and than a niche. No, that particular area. So it's like, do you do you want to be friends with them? Right. I said, do you only look for white beard in the breakdown? Because there are other things that I can play. And also, you should know that you know I've been an actor since I was six years old. I was in. a singing, dancing, performing group. We traveled all around the country and around the world. So I can actually do stuff, right? And I don't need to just be right. a prop. And so, so finally, finally, I <laughs> if you send me on one more Santa audition, I am firing you. And the next day she sent me on a Santa audition and I sent a nice email back saying, thank you, your services are no longer needed. So, Nice. Well, good for you, though. Well, so then, then I got then I got another agent because it was someone. This guy had actually directed a movie that I co-wrote and I was in, where I did play a priest, not Santa Claus. Okay, so I was in that one. So I say to him, "Don't send me out mm -hmm. for Santa Claus. Just don't. You'll you'll waste my time. I won't do it." So the first thing he sends me out for is a rabbi, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, I can play a rabbi. I can do that." So I get there 
Mm-hmm. And there are 12 real rabbis. I'm not saying these guys who look like rabbis. They are real rabbis. Oh, actually. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait, does that happen often? Like, I'm trying to imagine, like, a, a, call, a casting call for, like, you know, biker gangs. I mean, I would assume, obviously, because they already know how to ride. It's not just that they look it, but I would never imagine actual priests being like, let me get in on this dollar. <laughs> We're in Los Angeles and you've got rabbis who, you know, are frustrated actors anyway. They're, they're, they're great performers. They tell great jokes. So, so I get there and they're all like That's true. comparing notes and this and that. And then I get the sides. The sides are all in Hebrew. There is no English dialogue at all. And I call the agent and I go, the sides are in Hebrew. I can't read them. And everybody else here can read them. And not only can read them, they're prayers and they know them by heart. I said, I am not going right. casting person and doing a bad version of Hebrew. Well, same thing. The casting person will get to see you. I said, they'll get to see me being an idiot. I don't see how that's a positive thing. <laughs> it's not a good thing. <laughs> I, I love the silver lining though. It's like, but you get in the door, but yes. you get in the room. You're yeah. The you're room. like, what I would not be able to do. No. And then they're going to see you and go, what are you doing here? Wasting my time. So then now, um, right. Next one I get sent out for is, is a Pennsylvania Dutch farmer. I'm like, well, okay. Now in this one, it does say that if you get the part, you have to shave your mustache. So you just have that weird kind of chin beard. And I'm not sure that I'm willing to do that, but I'm like, okay, at least it's not Santa Claus and it's not in Hebrew. So I get to the place and, and like so many wonderful places where you audition, the parking lot has big signs that says no actor parking, which is great. Cause then oh. where, where do you park? Even though there's a whole parking lot. So park one right. way, walk back. It's a hundred degrees, get there, go upstairs, get the sides. This part is all written in Pennsylvania Dutch. No. Stop it. English. Now, the thing about this one is nobody there knows how to speak Pennsylvania Dutch. The people holding the audition, it's not like they have 12 actual Pennsylvania Dutch, you know, farmers, which is what I would have expected. Nobody knows how to pronounce it. Right. Nobody knows how it sounds. So I'm like, oh, my. So you could just fake it. I did. I just faked it. And the guy said, well, that sounded really good. I'm like, I have no idea. But but that was like, okay, <laughs> I've truly, truly had enough of this. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and then there was what I knew it was time to quit acting. This is when I knew it was time to quit acting. When, okay, so he's sending me out for a Target commercial. I'm like, oh, my God, I love Target. I would love to do a Target commercial. That'd be great. I go. Well, of course, did not tell me Santa Claus. Oh, but they want a younger Santa Claus because you have to run in the commercial. Well, running is also something I don't believe in. You know, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand the concept. I don't, I don't know why anyone would do it. You know, even if you're being right. by a lion, you lay down, you play dead. But okay, fine. So we get in the room. And- <laughs> run if you want, but not for me. <laughs> And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I have an advantage over the real Santa Claus is here. And, and I mm-hmm. knew I can actually outrun them, which is really not saying much. But, you know, normally they stop mm-hmm. that's that's what they do. So, but when right. I'm there, it just strikes me 
that I am just a prop. That's all I am. Even, even if I get in this thing, I am just a prop. And I get so mad in the middle of the audition. And I try not to show it. But you know how when you're really mad, people know you're really mad. <laughs> Yeah, it's there. It's like, oh, ooh, hello. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm thinking, you know what? This is, I have such a bad attitude. <laughs> that, that I should not be doing this anymore. And that was it. That was it. Mm. Well, I mean, that's still like, I mean, we were talking about like the whole silver lining thing, but I think that's a great point to come to because sometimes it's like, like people say, oh, you just have to love it more than you breathe or you have to love. I mean, I think that's a little extreme, but if you're not even liking it, yeah. No, it just, it had become like this incredible waste of time and I just didn't care. And I thought, you know what? There are things that I can do that 25 mm -hmm. other people can't do, you know, like my writing right. workshop, which I'm now, but it is something that, that I can do. And it's like, I should put my energy in that. So yeah, after, after a series, well, also the last year, I think that that target audition was the only audition I got in the entire year. And I just thought, why, mm. why am I doing this? So yes, you're right. It, in a way it was, it was an absolute blessing because it was like, okay, now I know this is not important to me, but yeah, not, not great, not great audition experiences. I did have one fun audition experience but you're not here to talk about that i mean honestly i feel like you've been through so much let's let's leave on a light note please tell me about the <laughs> i mean that was only two stories but i feel like it was like it was the uh what's it the snowball it was just rolling down and getting bigger because it's not like these are one kind of one-time thing i mean the the them stealing your script in a sense was but i feel like with the acting that was like a process it's something you finally got to so yes you know what let's hear about the front audition but I, but I didn't i didn't even tell you the worst story that i have i was saving oh, wait, there's more? oh all right so let's do let's do good news bad news let's hear this fun audition and then let's hear the really 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 bad one <laughs> so, so, so the good fun audition was i had just been an extra on a movie and it was a roger corman movie you know king of king of the b movies mm -hmm. but i had been such a ham as an extra that i stood out to the director and he actually asked for my picture everybody else was giving my picture i'm like okay and he said, I want to write a part for you. And I'm like, mm -hmm, sure you do. And then, <laughs> um, then two years later, he said, oh, I wrote a part for you. And I'm like, okay, great. But I still had to audition. So I had to go to Roger Corman's office, which was in West LA. Now, the thing that people don't know about Roger Corman is even though he made these eat my dust and, and low budget movies, although he also made like Little Shop of Horrors and stuff like that, he was mm -hmm. the U.S. U.S. distributor for Ingmar Bergman, and he was a very sophisticated and elegant person. So right. his offices were really, really classy and beautiful. And and get there, and you know they have like the plush carpet that's that's like six inches deep, and and the kind of nineteen seventies mod furniture. This wasn't in the seventies; it was in the nineties. But it was all it was all very, very cool. And I was like so so nervous, but I but I dressed in character. I was in character from the time I got there. I brought a giant bag of M&Ms and was handing them out to everybody in the office because that's what I thought. Wow. 
this but you were in it you were committed <laughs> I, I was committed i'm like what what do i have to lose you know it's like he wrote it for me so either i'll get it or they'll give it to someone who's been on tv i don't have anything to lose but i was so nervous but i just stayed in character the whole time and i did it and i got the part mm. wow well congrats see and you know, I think the best part is, and it also again lends back to comedy. I realized like when I was having fun, I was doing better than normal. So it's like, I feel like as long as you're enjoying yourself, like, well, yeah. I mean, granted it worked out, you got the role, but I feel like because you were enjoying yourself, you were being authentic with the character and they were just like, yeah, this guy. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's the one, <laughs> you know, it was very, I think it was very obvious in, in my mind. Yeah. Well, they couldn't see me any other way. Cause that's how I came in. So that was that was a good audition one. So now now here's the worst horror story. Now this one is wait so wait bad. let's let's like bring it in dun dun dun. That's those are my sound effects. I don't have any. So that's that's I what like we can do. <laughs> that's what I can afford. <laughs> okay. So this one is so bad. I actually repressed it and forgot about it when when you were saying you know the bad things that happened to you, and then I woke up this morning about five o'clock in the morning and I thought let me go over what. And then it came back to me and I'm like, Oh my goodness. We oh, forgotten how horrible this was. So anyway, I had, af I had stopped acting before because I lived in LA and then I'd moved up to the Bay area and I stopped acting. I was writing books. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Then I was like, Oh, I miss acting. I want to go back to it. And then I found this acting school in San Francisco that looked good because it combined acting with filmmaking. So you would get to actually be in productions. And I'm like, that that sounds really good. So I signed mm -hmm. up for this and I went. The first class I had there was great. I loved the teacher. She was insane, which was perfect. <laughs> Isn't and, it? Um, <laughs> the crazier, the better, I swear. Yeah, for, an for an acting teacher, that's what you want. Yeah. And, then, um, and then I started getting cast in so many things. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is great. This is really fun. And then, because I was cast in all these things and they could see it, the school actually did one professional film a year with an outside filmmaker and they would produce it and they would do all this. Mm -hmm. And the director saw me in one of the shorts and actually asked me to be in his film. And I'm like, oh, what is better than this, right? <laughs> That's, I mean... Right, you're, that's that's beyond a shoe in. I don't know what's above a shoe in, but it that when you had happened that that. Right, and so I'm like, yes, of course, I'd be thrilled. And it's like, well, you know, we don't have much money, and it's like that, that's that's fine, that's fine. Just mm -hmm. want to be in it. So okay, so you're cast in it. Meet with the director, talk about it. The first shot comes when he sends the script, because. You know, I know a lot of actors who they don't care what the script is. It's a script and they have lines. They have 14 days of shooting. They don't care what it is. Right. Being a writer myself, I read the script and I'm like, oh, no, this is terrible. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> and that's not just terrible. It's like distastefully terrible oh it's not like the kind of bad that like is like car wreck it's good you know you can't take your eyes off it so it was just it was just bad just awful oh it was awful it had incest it had murder it had murder okay but incest eh. mm. and, and, and so i'm like god do i do i want to be in this that bad this is really awful so now so now here's here's a piece of useful advice mm -hmm. for actors 
and I've done this multiple times and it's always worked. And now my secret will be out. But no, I mean, I'm well, I, let's just talk about this exclusive that I'm getting here. Mr. Daniel Will Harris is going to drop a gem for you actors out there. Please share. Oh, trust me. Trust me. This is very, very valuable. So now the director did want people want the actors to write their own their backstories which i do you know if i have if i'm a barista in a commercial i have an eight page backstory about how that guy got there that's that's just how i work so i did that anyway only in this one what i did in the backstory was basically rewrite subtly his storyline so it wasn't so disgusting (laughs) (laughs) you made your own story (laughs) So that instead of it being incest, it was not my character at incest. It was the lead one with his daughter. Now at least she was adopted. Okay, that's still not great, but okay. That's, that's, and, and so, so that was in there. But then here's, here's the real tip. If there's something you want to change in a script, you, you say to the director, Oh, you know, I just had a dream last night. And in the dream, here's what happened. And then you say what you want to happen in the script. And because you've said it's a dream, the director, the writer, they can either go, oh, okay, well, good. Who cares? <laughs> you know, or it, it can subtly seep into their head, but you're not giving them a direct criticism or anything like that. It was just a dream. You're not responsible for what you dream. And like I said, I've done this several times on on scripts that I thought had gone wrong. And every time, a week or two or later, the the director comes back or the writer comes back and says, oh, we've made some changes and they've incorporated them. What what is this, daytime (laughs) soap? I know they have a lot of changes, but like, come on, man. No, but but they were just like, yeah, no, I had a dream about that. And in the dream, this happened. And so so that worked. So in this case, it even worked in this case. I was like, oh, phew, okay, I can do this after all. Now, the director's main concern seemed to be that I didn't have a white beard. So I had to shave down to a goatee and I had to dye my beard. And he said, well, now you look 10 years younger. And everyone else said I look 10 years younger. And I said, I don't care. Anyway, <laughs> Wait, what so, color? I'm curious. Now I'm so, so curious. What color did you have to dye it to? Because I know it's like kind of white salt and pepper. What color? Was it like a brown? Was it a black? Yeah, it was a dark brown. That's that's really an important part of the story, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> I was curious. What for me? I just I wanted to see you. I need because I've only seen you this way. I don't, I don't know. It's like if you told me you shaved your beard off, I would be like, I need a picture. I need to see this <laughs> just out of my curiosity. Oh, no. No, the weird thing was that that was the deal breaker because I would not shave my beard off. Gotcha. I haven't been without a beard for, I don't know, 30 years, something like that. So anyway, there's three months of pre-production during which, you know, you talk to the director and the costume person because it's low budget. You have to wear all your own clothes and all that. Mm -hmm. Now, during three months of pre-production, I kept asking for a contract. Please send me a contract. Send me an agreement memo, send me anything in writing so that I have it and so that you have it and so that we have it. Nobody will send me anything. I go into the office, I talk to the crew, send me something on paper, send me something. Nope, nobody will send me anything. So it's the first day of shooting. I get the location, I go that, I show up 
first day of shooting. I've got two suitcases of my own clothes. Mm -hmm. And, and I say to the producer, I say, you know, I never got anything on paper. I never got a deal memo. I never got a contract. This was not good on your part because I did not really have to show up here today. Right. I did. I wouldn't have. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you, you could have lost a day or more of shooting because you didn't do the paperwork. So I need to have something today. Yeah. So I shoot all the scenes that day. Oh, well, then there was a nightmare with the customer. The customer did not like my own clothes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but these are my clothes. These are all I have. And I brought two suitcases full. And at one point she put me in like two things that so didn't match that it looked like my character had some kind of mental deficiency. What? And I said, I don't, I don't, I don't think my character would wear this. He's, he's a construction engineer and this was like more for a nighttime party scene. Why would he wear this at work? And she would say, just wear it. I'm the one who makes the decision. So then when I got down to the set, they were like, what are you wearing? And why are you wearing that? So anyway, I shoot the first day. And at the end of the day, I go back to the producer and I say, okay, I need some paperwork. I need it because I've shot a whole day now. Now, now you could have wasted a whole day. And this is a school and a production where they're supposed to be telling. And, and they didn't have anything for me. What? And I said, okay, well, in that case, I said, well, we're just going to, we're just going to pay you what the extras get paid. And I said, but I have a 14 day shoot and I have dialogue and that's not what we agreed. And that's not right. Right. And so I said, I just want the standard SAG ultra low budget daily rate not even a per diem right not even miles it, it would be nice if you could like clean my wardrobe after i wear it because they are my own clothes yeah and and i said and that's what i want and the producer said okay fine okay so i come back the next day is there a contract oh now there is a contract what is the contract for it's for a daily rate of 20 dollars as an extra and i said no this is not what we discussed. This is not what you agreed to right. last night. You agreed to it. That's crazy. Well, this is, this is all we can do. And I said, well, then I'm not signing it. And if I don't sign it, then, you know, I will still come back and honor my commitment. But you just need to know I don't need to because you're not honoring your commitment. Wow. Yeah, you're good, so, though. You at least, you know, followed through. I feel like they would have been asked out with most other people, including myself. I'd have been like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm not dealing with this. Goodbye. <laughs> well, I was also at the same time still going to that school and taking this advanced showcase class where at the end of it, you were supposed to be seen by eight agencies in San Francisco. Gotcha. So I even I even talked to the producer who was the head of the school and I said, look, you don't have to pay me at all. Just comp me on this class that I'm in right now. Right. Just comp me on that class and I'll call it even. That will be fine, even though that's far less than than what I'd asked for. You were really trying to like work with them. That's oh, that speaks volumes. Really trying. And I showed up every day and I was on time and I did everything right. And I didn't, you know, didn't need multiple takes. And and I was very, very professional. So then at the end, when I still have not gotten a contract at the end of the shoot. Goodness gracious. 
I, I call the producer again and I say, look, I, I don't understand this. Oh no, I didn't get a contract. I got a check for like a hundred bucks or something even lower than, it was just like ridiculous. And, and I said, I, I don't understand how you can do this because it's not what we agreed. And I did everything that I agreed and I showed up. Yeah. So the next thing that happened was I got a six page handwritten letter from the director personally threatening me threatening me saying saying i heard that you went behind my back well yes because you didn't you never gave me anything and it is the producer's job and you were telling them and you were demanding and then and there were a couple of takes where you messed up. Mm-hmm. Really? On 14 days, there were a couple of takes where I messed up. Okay, that makes me horrible. <laughs> Ending with, I am, I am going to tell everyone in the entertainment industry in San Francisco that you are a liar and unreliable and never, ever to work with you. Mm-hmm. This is what he said. That's what he says to me after I've done everything for the production that was right for 14 days. Now it really freaked me out because I didn't know know who he knew, Mm -hmm. he knew. And to make it all better after all of this, a couple days after he sends this letter and it is a vicious letter. It's, it's just mean and awful and really the worst letter I've ever gotten in my life. And I'm like, what did I do to serve this other than to, try to get a contract in writing right. what did i do you didn't do anything that was out of the norm and the thing is for him to say that you went behind his back doesn't make sense because you did ask him on more than one occasion in more than one way so I, it's mind that's mind-blowing oh the the ego of some people it was mind-blowing. so then so then like the next week i have to do the showcase so get there get to the class well first of all it turns out there weren't eight agents there was only one he wasn't really an agent he was an assistant to the agent (laughs) but even so i'm i'm still i'm still going to do my i'm still going to do my audition to the best of my ability right who comes in right when it's my turn the director and he stands in the back of the room and he stares daggers at me through the whole monologue is that normal? This time, I am so. <laughs> Wait, what? Why? That's I. I mean, I haven't had many, many auditions, but I feel like that's that's very weird. Well, well, he was. You know, he worked at the school, so he knew what was going on, oh, okay. and he just went in to intimidate me. And by this time, now I was so mad, I was like in my head, "Fuck you! This is going to be the best audition I've ever done in my life, mm-hmm. and you can't stop me." And I did do a great audition. Now, I didn't end up getting a spot from that assistant because he told me, oh, that was a fantastic audition. You were great, but we already have someone of your type on our roles. Mm-hmm. And then when, I, then when I went to their website, the person they had of my type that was on their roles was the assistant himself. Shut your mouth. <laughs> You shut your mouth. I was, no, I was not expecting that. That is a plot twist from freaking hell. You didn't stand a chance, huh? No, no. And they, and they never comped the class. And 
Oh my God. No, it was just, but that was, that was the single worst experience that I've ever had in, you know, in movies or TV or anything like that. That was just to have this director vituperatively just say all these lies and tear you down for trying to be a professional. I mean, I, I forgot to even like ask along the lines. So then what happened? So you could tell the story. Cause I was so, it's like when you're watching a really good movie, you know, and then like your friends like pass me the popcorn. Like you just like slowly reach for the popcorn and pass it and you don't take your eyes. Like that was me listening just now. Like I was like, wait, what? What? Huh? What? Like what? And the fact that, I'm, but here's the thing. If he was like already on the roster, already had the role, whatever, why do you have to be such a dick? Like that didn't even seem necessary. <laughs> like if you're in, you're in. You don't have to be an asshole. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, clearly the universe even then was trying to tell me things and I wasn't listening. You know what? Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) They say that you will repeat the same lesson over and over until you finally get that lesson. So, wow. All right, Daniel, thank you so much for, you know, interviewing with me today, telling your horror stories and even giving us a little bit of a silver lining as well. Uh, so tell us where we can find you, follow you, you know, tell us about your workshop, all those good okay, things. Okay, well, my website is called writeinthenow.com, W-R-I-T-E-I-N-T-H-E-N-O-W.com. And um, that has my writing. You can get to my podcast from there. And that also has my workshops. And I give my workshops now on Zoom, of course, which is great, actually, because now I get people from all over the world. Yesterday, I did a workshop, had people in LA, San Francisco, New York, and London. And my writing workshop is called Write in the Now, as you would assume from the URL. And it's a very Mm -hmm. simple and fun and effective way to write so that in the first in the first workshop alone which is just 3 hours you'll come away with three or four stories you know and that's not, yeah it's not something that if i said to you okay write three or four stories you'd be like about what no you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> and and at the end people are like yeah i did that like Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did that. So, and it's a fun communal experience. You know, it's not me just talking. It's, it's you doing the stuff. And, and um, I have to say, I'm always surprised at how well it works and how everybody really can do this. Everybody can tell these rich, emotionally rich, interesting stories. And you're listening to them and you're like, where did this stuff come from? And nobody <laughs> really knows, but but it all comes out. So I highly recommend if you're a writer and you're looking for new tools and new approaches, or you're an actor and you're looking for ways to create new content on your own rather than waiting for other people to write it, that my workshop is a really fun, inexpensive, and in the end, really effective way to show you what you can do that you don't even realize that you can do. And, and it's a practice that you can use every day. 
I think that's great. I mean, you say fun and then you say inexpensive. What? And then you say efficient. I mean, come on, you're checking off all the boxes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I, I want to make it, I want to make it available to everybody who wants to take it. So that's important to me because I do it really for the joy of, of watching people discover what they can do. It's great. That's wonderful. And I, I remember we briefly spoke about it's basically like science, right? Like there's kind of this block from your brain to your hand. But when you're talking about it, just kind of flows, which is funny because ironically, there's a connection from your hand to your brain. Because, you know, when you take actual physical notes as opposed to typing them, um, like your brain kind of retains it better. But it's it's crazy how the other way around your brain's like, I got nothing. I don't know what you want me to write. I, I got no. <laughs> well, I think it's because they've done these studies, you know, where they've stuck people in the MRIs and MRIs are not fun to be stuck into, but they stick you in the MRI <laughs> and they have you writing, they have you typing. And then they also have, I mean, I'm not going to do this to you. I don't want to frighten people. Nobody's going in an MRI. <laughs> my but but scientists shots, log into Zoom at Swangren Posterior Kaiser Permanente. Yeah, just no, be in no, the MRI no. machine. <laughs> no, I don't want to frighten people. I just want to say scientists have done this, not me personally. And they found that <laughs> when you're writing, you know, in those physical ways, you're using a different part of your brain than when you talk. And the part of the brain that we use mm. when we talk is the most developed part of our language center which makes sense because that's what we do the most and so we're mm -hmm. taking advantage of that and that natural ability that we have for words to come out without us really having to plan what we're going to say or or obsess over word choice or or anything like that and yeah it makes the process so much easier and and i keep saying fun because even for me I'm on page 320 of, of my new novel. It's fun. It's mm, fun. And I, that sounds great. And as I think writing should be fun. I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm new to it. And I think that's also why I'm, I'm having fun because I'm also new to it. Um, but that's one of the things I always like, like, I'm always like, how do you write? Well, how do you write? How do you write? Because, you know, there's all these methods out there. And for me, I, I've obviously, again, very new to it. I haven't really learned in particular how to write. I'm more just like, okay, I know I want at one point the cell phone battery dies. At another point, you know, he gets a flat tie. Like, these are the seven things I want to happen. How the hell do I get there? I don't know. Um, but eventually that runs out of steam because <laughs> then, you know, you write and then you're like, okay, but what, what do I want to happen now? So I think that is a great way. Um, I, I did say, I definitely want to sign up for the class. I mean, I would love to do it in person, but that's not an option at this time, of course. Um, but I think it's great as well. And you also mentioned your podcast. Tell us a bit about your podcast yeah, as well. My podcast is actually made up of stories that I have written using this practice. And, and I started writing these stories about seven years ago. I think I have 600 stories written. And of those, wow. when the pandemic started, I thought, oh, these are all monologues. They're all first person pieces. They'd be great for actors to read. And I know so many talented actors and they had nothing to do. This is before everybody was doing a Zoom reading every two minutes. And so I started <laughs> sending them out. And now I have almost 100 podcasts up there and it's called it's also called it's called right now stories but if you go to my website right in the now.com then there's a link and you can listen to all the podcasts there and it's been that's also been a joyous experience because actors bring so much to 
to whatever you write. You know, there's there's your layer of stuff, and then there's their layer of interpretation and talent on top of that. And I've I've loved working with the actors and hearing how they bring the stories to life. That's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And you've cut out now. Hmm. Interesting. Am I there? Hello, hello. Yeah, you cut out. Hello. You said thank you, and then I, and then you cut out, and I didn't hear anymore. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, we'll just do that again because I have to edit that. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us today. Uh, I hope you get a flood of new students uh, all over the world. Mr. International, I, I'll, I'll nickname you in my mind. Um, and <laughs> I hope you guys all check out his podcast. I've also done it. It's super fun. The stories are also fun as well. So, I mean, not all of them. Some of them, I think some of them are a little dark, but I like that. They're, they're all entertaining is the point. They're all entertaining. Um, and you could definitely see that the method works for sure. So I thank you so much, Daniel. You have a wonderful thank day. Thank you, Stacy. You too. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. I'll, I'll, I'll probably have this posted Thursday because I have to do so much chopping up. <laughs> I know. Um, but I'll tag everything. Um, you don't have a right in the now Instagram, do you, that I should tag? Um, it's Daniel Will on Instagram. Just you as a person, right? You don't have like a podcast page no, and like a I, workshop I page. Okay, just you one. as a person. I created one and linked it to mine and Instagram kept saying, you can't post anything here. This is spam. I'm like, I've been on here for oh my gosh eight years. It's connected to my other account. I keep getting spam from half naked women, and you won't let me post something. So I gave right. You're legit, and you can't get what you need. But then everybody else who's like, oh, check out my news and all the crap, you get all that. All that comes through, no problem. Instagram is no broken. Problem, yeah. <laughs> all right, thanks for helping me with this. All right, I'll post this. I'll tag everything um, right in the now website. Tag you on, and then that's it. There's no other pages. Okay, perfect. Thank I really you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Stacy. No problem. Bye-bye.